This program is part of Film Geek Radio. Visit filmgeekradio.com for more great shows. Hey movie addicts, welcome to Cinema Fix, your shop for the purest, highest quality movie reviews on the block. I'm Andrew Johnson, and I'm joined today by my fellow dealer, Monica Castillo. Hello, Andrew. Hey, Monica. Are you ready to go right off into the sunset, save the town, escape Native Americans that are trying to kill you, maybe kill a few Native Americans yourself, all in the name of progress? Go west, young man. Go west. It's not like anyone lives there anyways. This is part two of episode number 56 of Cinema Fix, focused on the movie The Lone Rangers. So if you're looking for part one, you're listening to the wrong file. Go away. We don't want you here. If this is your first time listening to the show, basically this is the program on Film Geek Radio devoted to in-depth discussion of mainstream blockbuster films. And each week we release an episode in two parts. The first part is a general spoiler-free discussion, and the second part, which you're listening to right now, is the more in-depth analysis of the film, complete with spoilers, and it's designed to be listened to after you've heard part one, or at least after you've seen the film. Again, this is part two, so if you don't want to be spoiled, stop listening now and listen to part one of our episode on The Lone Ranger. Now, in part one, we already described the plot. I'm just going to assume you've seen the movie and and you understood the plot, though it's a little bit incoherent at times. Before we really dive into things, here's another clip. Hey, hold it right there. I'm afraid I have to take you in. You hear, you hear me? Okay, Monica, let's talk about The Lone Ranger. It's been over a week since I saw the movie, and I've been thinking a lot about it. And though I would not call it a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, Mm -hmm. I I do think that it is doing some interesting things and trying to, to, to do things that most blockbuster movies avoid. Which is, I'm very curious to hear what you have to say. <laughs> I think in some ways this is trying to be a PG-13 big budget studio version of Django Unchained. Of Little Big Man? like. Well, maybe. Oh, um, well, yeah. I think that this is a much darker movies in some respect than people might expect. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, because it's a Disney movie, it's trying to be light and fun and a buddy comedy, even though it's dealing with some very serious themes. So it just doesn't really mesh together very well. At all. I think in some respects, Gore Verbinski has taken a $250 million movie and tried to make this big budget epic about the genocide of Native Americans and how they were marginalized, how in many ways their culture has been ignored or at times forgotten by mainstream white America. And most movies, I think, would would try to avoid that uncomfortable truth. And I think Gore Verbinski is trying to confront us with that. He just doesn't quite pull it off. Yeah, because he still makes the character of Tonto a pretty reductive stereotype. I agree with you to a certain extent. I I think there are some major problems with the character of Tonto. When does he redeem himself? Throw this at me. Because so far, I only get cons out of him. Okay, well, well, let me first go over the things that I don't like about Tonto. And that I think do, in some respects, make him a racist character. Your list of what you liked might be shorter. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> I do not like the fact that he is played by Johnny Depp, uh-huh. though there is a part of me that I think I, I think an argument could be made that perhaps 
Verbinski cast Johnny Depp not only because it would allow him to make this sort of big budget popcorn movie that a lot of people would go see and he'd be able to sneak in this sort of subversive message about how white people are terrible inside all of it. But I also think an argument could be made that maybe he's trying to show or acknowledge the fact that to a certain extent, yeah, Native American culture still is marginalized, still isn't understood. There aren't very many A-list Native American actors in Hollywood. It's hard for them to get work. It's hard for them to get leading roles. And he solves this by putting them in the background? Like, if you want to go radical and you want to change do I agree to a certain extent, but I, I do think there is a question of to what extent does casting a white guy in that role, to what extent is he trying to critique that versus to what extent is it just perpetuating it further? And there's that tug of war between those two ideas that the movie never really recovers from. And it never really does settle the right way. I mean, at best, the only good thing that has possibly come out of Johnny Depp being cast as Tonto is the fact that it's not a Native American actor who's then being accused of prolonging a stereotype. Well, I do not think it's a total stereotype. I'm waiting on this one. First, one more thing I don't like. I do not like the fact that he wears the stupid crow on his head Mm -hmm. because that was not, that's not accurate. That's not taken from actual Native American culture. Johnny Depp took that from a painting, I believe, that is from a non-Native American artist. It is. And the guy likes to play with the mythical aspect of Native Americans. So it's like bad on top of bad. So again, I think the devil's advocate could say, well, yeah, Gore Verbinski is trying to play with these ideas of cultural stereotypes and ideas about people versus reality and how culturally we we view people and we remember people when that might not necessarily be the case. But again, it's just so messy. I don't think they really pull it off. But getting back to this issue of stereotypes, I do think that... Johnny Depp is correct when he says that in this movie they upended the Tonto stereotype by not having him be a subservient sidekick. Because say what you will about Tonto in The Lone Ranger, he's frequently the one figuring stuff out. He is the one doing stuff a lot of the time. Army Hammer's character of the Lone Ranger is kind of a buffoon. He is also the one bent on revenge while Army Hammer is trying to uphold justice, truth, and the American way. He is also not, a, for whatever backstory they decided to give him, he's also not given any friends or love interest. It's still the hero that gets all the action. And at the end of the day, it, the story is mostly about the Lone Ranger, even if the speaking parts are 50-50. There's no dynamic story arc with Johnny Depp's character of uh, Tonto. He doesn't go through any learning experience. He's just there, a static character. So you got a cardboard cutout of exactly what you had in the 1950s and just gave him a couple more lines in the same pigeon English as he had before. That is not progress. I think it's a little That's bit of progress. tokenism. That's both. <laughs> no, wait, 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 wait. I think it's a little bit of progress. I'm mad. <laughs> Hear me out. I know you're, I know you're angry. This movie. <laughs> I think it's a little bit of progress because in many ways, this is Tonto's movie. And he's the one who's present in the framing device, old Tonto, telling this story almost as if he's, he's trying to reappropriate the Lone Ranger for himself. And he's telling this little boy, and um, I hadn't thought of this before, but Matt Zollerseitz wrote a really interesting review of the film where he basically argues that that framing device is designed so that Tonto can basically keep this little white kid from buying into the cultural myths about the Lone Ranger and about what what happened, about how... So, so, he, so he can keep this little boy from fully believing, yay, the white guy came in and saved the day, and America's great and progress, woohoo. 
That's a great interpretation because the kid still puts on the mask at the end and he, you know, runs off. So he's still into him. Well, right. But I think it's an, it's, it's, it's about how do you view the Lone Ranger? And I, I, we'll get to that in a second. I think there's some, a lot of problems there. I also have a, a thing to say about the beginning. I'ma let you finish. I'ma let you finish. <laughs> I think that the movie at times feels very dark and very angry. I, I do think an argument could be made that this is Tonto's story basically saying, no, 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 no. White people are terrible. White people are the Wendigo. You, you, you came into my country. You ravaged my land. You killed my people all in the name of silver and money and quote unquote progress. And that's not heroic. So I do think that in some ways this movie is trying to be kind of subversive and kind of radical. And, and yes, to a certain extent, Tonto is upholding those stereotypes. But at the same time, they also kind of imply he's not the quote-unquote normal Native American. He's sort of damaged. He's traumatized. He, he could be a little bit mentally ill. He's just guilt-ridden. He's been an outcast or went into self-imposed exile. So he's been away from people. So I think an argument could be made that it's not trying to ascribe these traits to all Native Americans. The problem is he's like the main Native American character we see on screen. Exactly. And the execution of some of the ideas in this movie is so lacking that it just doesn't quite pull it off. And it does feel very racist at times, even though that's probably not the intent. So when I first wrote my review for Bitch Magazine, my editor actually took out one of the meaner lines in which I said that the Native Americans were treated almost like packing peanuts in order to deliver this genre trope, this supposedly like evil white people sort of thing for, for dances with wolves and that sort of tradition to make him like, oh, tragic noble savages. It's so, I'm sorry, it's offensive. Like the whole speech where they give right before um, they're chased out into the woods and when you kind of assume that they're being massacred off stage, and they give this sad little last sentence of, well, we're ghosts already, so why bother, you know, like why bother fighting? That's a very sad, tragic line that I don't think a lot of blockbuster films would normally include. It's been dumb before. And the thing is, is that Native Americans are still around. It's not like they've become extinct. They're not ghosts. That is kind no, of... No, no, no. Come on. I don't think they're saying, oh, they're literally ghosts. They're saying our our culture has been marginalized. You've taken our land. You've taken a large portion of our culture. I think that's putting in meaning. <laughs> You've murdered us. So in that sense, yes, I think you would you could argue Native American culture is a ghost of it of its former self. I mean, wow, as we mentioned, that's, that's pretty rough. A ghost in the sense that is it is nowhere near as present or prevalent or understood as it used to be Never or as it was understood. Be. Please. Right, exactly. <laughs> worse, worse then than it is now, which is probably why we're having this conversation in the first place. Because people don't know how to talk about other people. A ghost in the sense that they are ignored, marginalized, and as we mentioned, not present in mainstream popular culture, especially in positive ways. Because it's still white colonialism. It's still white dominance. Exactly. So in that sense, I think that's what they're going for when they say, yes, we, we, we're ghosts. All the creative hands on there, six screenwriters and such, all white telling, framing this story. Yes. It, it, and then, yeah, and you have them acknowledging, yes, Native American culture has been marginalized. This is an entire movie about how white people are evil. Seen this movie before. The thing is, you don't have to say that message without, you know, reducing the people who the movie is supposed to be about if you want to really put the emphasis on Native Americans. Like, how many other Native Americans have speaking roles versus the name, number of white people who have speaking roles? That's a huge difference. I agree. I think... What they were trying to do 
is they were trying to figure out how do we take this angry, subversive message. I also think it's angry because they didn't know what the hell they were doing with it. Because for the most part, it's totally uneven. This movie is a mess. We've talked about it structurally, and we've talked about it how it just jumps from one thing to another. Uh, like that scene where they were killing people off state, off screen. They're making jokes about scorpions on their faces. The Lone Ranger and Tonto, they're buried up to their chin, and scorpions pop out. And haha, it's funny, even that we just saw a cavalry just chase a tribe into the woods. I agree. It's a mess, and I do not think they pull it off. And I'm not going to say that this is a good film, despite their intentions. But what I think they were going for is I think they were trying to figure out how do we take this this message and this realization that, historically speaking, white people committed genocide in the name of, quote-unquote, progress. Mm -hmm. And modern America was built on the backs and, and, and on the blood of minorities. How do we take that message that most people do not want to hear and how do we put it in a big budget studio blockbuster movie so that it will get to the most people and that we will sort of inadvertently trick them into, into getting this message? And that is the battle and that is the mess and the tension that plays out on screen and they do not pull it off very well unfortunately and ultimately it's i think that 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 goal was just too ambitious i'm not sure in today's movie making environment i'm not sure you could make a 250 million dollar movie about genocide and 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 make it palatable for mainstream audiences well, and, and pull that 90s. off. Daniel Day-Lewis already walked away with the Oscar then. <laughs> well, okay, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that's true. And then true. Uh, Dustin Hoffman did did it in the 70s as a Vietnam analogy. But again, those were white savior movies, and I don't think The Lone Ranger is quite trying to be a white savior movie. In some ways, I think it's kind of trying to poke a hole in that. It is Tonto's story. He's the one telling it. He's usually the one. What was it? Uh, the paper boy has the maid has the yeah has the maid telling the story about all these white people. You can still have a person of color telling the story and it not be their story. Oh, I agree. I agree. Oh, and another fun fact, uh, when the whole backstory of Tonto gets revealed, it's also told from another Native American. So really, all Native Americans do when they speak on screen is tell stories. Problems. This movie has lots of them. Is that a problem, though? Because I would argue, and, and again, I know it's it's going to sound like I'm defending the film. I, I, I don't want people to think that this is a great movie. It's It's not. But I think they were trying for something ambitious, and they failed. I, I think that this is a movie, in a certain extent, about stories, specifically the story of our history and of American progress. And I do think that it is, to a certain extent, about reclaiming that for Native Americans and forcing mainstream white America to realize, no, 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 you don't get to, you've controlled and you've told this story your way for long enough. It's time for us to have a voice and for, for us to be able to say, no, you came in, you murdered us, you're Wendingos. From a white director, white actors, and white screenwriters, here's the thing. Yes. It's not the story that's being told. What do you mean? I don't think that the, the story that you're talking about is definitely not the story that made it onto the screen. I would agree that, that it is not executed. I think that's what they were going for. And we've talked about this, that this is kind of ambitious, like trying to think, oh, hopefully that they were trying to aim for this higher purpose and they just only ended up kind of offending people because their their joke or their final punchline ended flat. You're implying that their effort doesn't count because they're white? I think they don't know what they were doing. I think they were just ignorant. The fact that Johnny Depp had such a big role in his costume, and he's very proud about telling him how he decided upon the bird and how he decided upon the face paint and how it was different sections of his character, and they all were different parts of a stereotype. I don't think anyone really pulled them aside and say, hey, man, that this person wasn't a total yes man to Gore Verbinski, to Johnny Depp, to any of the screenwriters. They supposedly had... A Comanche. They had an advisor. An advisor, yeah. I don't think he had much say in anything. If if he did, 
he might have went along with everything. It's interesting you bring that up because there's been a whole lot of controversy online within the Native American community Mm -hmm. about the film. And apparently there are a lot of respected members of the Native American community that have kind of been saying, don't question the movie. It's good that Native Americans have a presence at all in such a big mainstream blockbuster film. This is important. Don't question it. Yeah. They have a point to a certain extent, but at the same time, it's like, well, you need, maybe you need to be a little bit more mindful of how you're represented on screen. Um, but, but, but again, it's kind of sad that it's reached that point where you've got an entire people group, Mm -hmm. the people that were here before white Americans were, but now they're so marginalized. They're just desperate for anything to be on the screen. They're just desperate for any sort of acknowledgement, even if maybe it's harmful. Well, I've had a few quotes now I have lined up from Adrian Keene, who's the first person that I started reading about when The Lone Ranger was still in pre-production, when the stills of Johnny Depp's costume was coming out. She was writing about them. She writes for the Native Appropriations blog. Yes, I, I read her. I read all of her blogs about this. She was She's a great writer. Yes, well, for sharing for the, the audience at large. Um, We can't be thankful that 50 Native actors are able to ride around bareback in the background of a film or be psyched that a big-name Hollywood actor has put a crow on his head to honor us. Talk about ongoing colonization of our mind. Our community is so much better than that. We are worth much more than background roles and misrepresentations. I agree, and I'm not going to deny that. Again, I I do not I do not think they pulled it off, but I think the intention and the idea was how do we stay respectful to Native Americans and quote unquote tell their story, but at the same time make it seem like a like a more quote unquote mainstream film? And unfortunately, at times they went too far into the side of the mainstream. And so as a result, the movie feels very hypocritical and uneven a lot of the time. I think it was because they had six writers on it, but that's okay too. That could be a, a huge part of it. That tends to be why a movie is kind of all over the place is because six people have been through that script. Yes. Not to mention whatever the director does and whatnot, editor and post. But at the same time, this is a movie in which the framing device, the the, the, the narrative is apparently being crafted by a Native American. One of the big final lines of the movie as Tonto kills the main bad guy is, you're no Wendigo, you're just a white man. White men are in- inherently evil. They are. They aren't. They are, which is a pretty radical statement for a, a mainstream blockbuster. His quote-unquote sidekick, the Lone Ranger, happens to be white. I agree, and the uh, some a lot of the main problems with the with the film is they never quite develop the Lone Ranger coherently. You're never quite sure what to make of his arc. Well, I kind of took it as uh, Jimmy Stewart from The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance. Kind of goofy, slapsticky side. There's a part of me that wants to say they wanted to craft him as a hero who, like the audience, I guess is what they hopefully would have intended, would go from thinking, yes, I believe in the law and American progress, this is what I'm all about, to suddenly realize, oh no, everything is corrupt, it's all for money, terrible things have been done, and I need to fight against that. In other words, yeah, to a certain extent, the Lone Ranger needs to learn that he has to become the sidekick to Tonto and help Tonto tell his story and 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 achieve his goals. That just does not come across in the execution, however, at all, really. So I'm going to use the analogy of like a joke that someone's trying to make like this really smart ass joke. And then the execution is wrong and it ends up coming off offensive. That's kind of how I feel about this movie. Yeah, I would agree with you. It all falls apart in the execution. This is a movie in which the Native American, quote-unquote, sidekick is telling the story, and it is a very angry story, and he's the one that is so enraged, he's the one that wants to kill. He's the one that wants to kill Cavendish in in, in revenge, whereas the white guy is kind of like, no, progress, nonviolence. I thought that was holding holding Tonto back more towards the savage trope. I think that is how it came across, unfortunately. But again, there's a part of me that wants to argue. I think you're just trying to argue for, like, 
benefit of the doubt here. I, I do want to give them the benefit of a doubt, and, and at least in regards to their For intentions. For $250 million, I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt. I will give them the benefit of the doubt regarding their intentions, not as far as the result. Uh, the result is a mess and I think undermines a lot of the things they were probably going for. But you you have, on the one hand, the white hero who's kind of like this very idealistic, yay, America, we don't have to be violent, hooray. And then you have the Native American going, no, 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 you have wronged me too much. White men have gone too far. We have to resort to violence. That is the, it's it's reached that point where you can't just ignore it. And I think that's what they were going for, but I agree with you. The execution is so off, it does kind of just paint him as a quote-unquote savage, while the Lone Ranger seems like more of a nice, heroic type. I mean, you seem like straddling the fence so hard. It's very much. But I think, but I also think, and not fully condemning them, but not fully praising them, it's straining your arguments. <laughs> I am very much traveling the fence because on the one hand, I, I do think an argument could be made that they are trying to do things here and trying to say things that the vast majority of big budget blockbuster films won't go near and won't touch. But I agree with you. The execution is so off that they do not achieve that. And at times it feels very offensive, whether they mean to be or not. It does come across as offensive and as problematic because they never quite navigate that tension between we want to have this radical message versus we need to package it in this way that studios will like and that mainstream white audiences will go see. All right. Does that make sense? It's your opinion, man. Okay. I, I Again, I'm not going to praise the result. I was bored throughout the movie. I was offended at times throughout the movie. But I will give them the benefit of the doubt as far as their intentions go. It's one thing to waste two and a half hours of my life. It's another thing to continue on the Hollywood tradition of marginalizing minorities on film. I agree with you. But again, I would argue I don't think they were trying to do that. I they may not have tried, but it's what they did. Yeah. I'm sure white people in the South back in the 1960s thought Jim Crow was going to be the solution of all everything. And, well, nope, no, it wasn't. It was bad. It was really bad. Not that I'm saying that this movie was that bad, but I'm saying the end effect was really bad. I think that this movie, like I said before, I think this is trying to be the Django Unchained of big budget studio blockbuster movies. I think this is a big budget movie that's, that they're, they're trying to say, hey, this happened. This was awful. Look at the terrible things you white people did. You need to grapple with that. But the execution is so off, and they're having to package it in a quote-unquote mainstream, quote-unquote safe way. They killed the white guy in Django, and they right. let Django have a love interest. So already Django's ahead of the, ahead of the Lone Ranger by like half a mile. I agree. They did not go as far as they should have in certain respects, and they caved too much in others. But let's get off the topic of racism and intent <laughs> for a minute. A hot minute. Because we, we clearly disagree on that and to the extent to which we should judge the film based on that. Mm -hmm. I think we can both agree that from a craft perspective and how it's put together, it's very shoddy. And just really a mess at times, even though the cinematography is gorgeous. It's kind of hard not to shoot Monument Valley right. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, they, there are all these references to other films. Which actually kind of pissed me off more because I wish I was watching those films. <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Because when the tra train goes off the rails, I'm like, oh, you know what? I haven't seen the general in a real long time. Buster Keaton was way funnier than these. I mean. Yeah. Um, I mean, if, if Buster Keaton could blow up a bridge and a train in his movie a hundred years ago, why can't we do that nowadays? It's only I 90. Don't age him. All right. <laughs> <laughs> only 90 years ago. Okay. Yeah. You're right. I, I was rounding up to I the I think it's 27 100. or 28. For the okay. General. Okay. Yeah, there there are lots of references to to, to classic cinema, 
And yeah, this movie is nowhere near as good as any of those films, Mm -hmm. unfortunately. So you you agree with me there? I I agree with you there. (laughs) Okay. We agree on something. I think the movie really starts to go off the rails around the time his brother is killed and he first gets the mask mm-hmm. to to sort of become the Lone Ranger. Up until that point, I wasn't loving it, but I wasn't hating it. I was just kind of like, oh, this is all right. This is light and fun. And then once that happens, it's just like the movie can't decide quite what it wants to do in terms of the narrative. Mm-hmm. Like, he has all these weird dreams when Johnny Depp's bringing him back to life. And at one point, Later on, he, like, has a vision of the future or something. Or something. They stop in that weird town with Helena Bonham Carter, who served, like, very little purpose. Yeah, and then they never go back to any of the vision stuff. And you're kind of like, well, wait, why was that in there? What's going on? I mean, at one point, Johnny Depp sort of implies he's a quote-unquote spirit walker who may may be invincible. But they never really clarify, why is he having these strange visions exactly? Is he some sort of weird spiritual warrior? Because he's in the desert with a Native American and they are magical. Right. Which... Stereotype. Maybe it's a stereotype. But at the same time, if they want to dive into Native American beliefs about spirituality and stuff, I'm willing to go with it. I just think I got more out of John Wayne sitting on a horse talking about shooting Native Americans in the eye and the searchers because that's their way into the spirit world. This is super racist movie, The Searchers. But if we're going to explore the sort of like, oh, spirituality aspect, super direct and straightforward, no shits, no giggles about it, done. Moving on yeah, the, with the rest of the plot. They put it in and then they don't talk about it. Yeah, they bring it up and then it's just gone. And it's offensive. There's a part of me that wonders if there's like entire scenes that were left on the cutting room floor. Because even though this movie is... Already two and a half hours, it feels like stuff was cut. Which is, again, more of that poor craftsmanship there. I, like, right. what was what was going on there? Well, not that we don't know that Gore Verbinski can turn in a subpar movie. Most of us sat through Pirates of the Caribbean 3, but good lord, like... And 2. And 2, yeah. 2 I tolerated, I guess, remotely. But, like, 3 was just, please don't take me back here again. I don't even want to see the ride for a while. I hated two so much I didn't see the third one. Okay. Third one was dumb. I've heard some people suggest that maybe it was in his contract or something where he had to get it in below 150 minutes. Yeah, I've heard this. And it clocks in at 149, kind of like an F you to the studio. And to his audience. (laughs) Maybe to a certain extent. I'm wondering if maybe in 20 years we'll suddenly get like the Heaven's Gate restoration where suddenly there will be this director's cut and it'll be restored and it'll be like the half hour extra footage or something because i did feel at times like there was stuff i was missing like that had just been removed there's a there's a moment where i can't remember what's going on the lone ranger and tonto overcome some obstacle and then they realize oh yeah we need to go get we need to go stop Butch Cavendish at the mine. And then the next scene is at the mine, and somehow the Lone Ranger and Tonto are already inside, scaring people, and that's how they kind of intimidate Butch Cavendish. And yeah. I was like, wait, 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 how'd you get in there? What happened? Back up a second. That's probably that unreliable narrator at the beginning who keeps forgetting stuff and telling the story out of order. Right, which again, the devil's advocate in me wants to say is because it's acknowledging the fact that Native Americans have had the story taken away from them. They're trying to reclaim it for themselves and figure it out. And they're terrible at it? (laughs) You're not selling me. You're not selling me on this. I'm not even sure if I'm selling myself. (laughs) That's just an argument I think could be made. All right. You are pulling them hard and fast. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, the the movie just jumps around all over the place. Like at the beginning, it it sort of starts off with a bank robbery. And then you're kind of wondering, well, how did they wind up in that situation? And then at the end, you realize they robbed the bank to get explosives to blow up the bridge. The problem is, we just saw Tom Wilkinson tell his henchmen or whatever, go hide these explosives in some place no one will find them. And we never got a scene where the Lone Ranger and Tonto actually learned 
yeah, the explosives are in the bank. So somehow they just miraculously know that that's where the explosives are, and they show up to get them. And I was like, wait, how did you know? You're just magic. Mm-hmm. You know everything. See where this is going? <laughs> I feel like there was probably a scene where they learned that information. They got it in a dream. Maybe, I don't know, or maybe they found the henchman and interrogated him. I don't know. I just felt like there was a scene missing there where they actually learned that information. Mm. Um, and it, it's almost like the editor was like, oh, we have to get this in under 150 minutes. What can we cut? Oh, I guess we don't really need this scene where they learn the information. It's just important that they act on it. So remove that. And it, it just feels really, really weird. Among other things. You mentioned the Helena Bonham Carter character. I had no idea what to make of that. Yeah. Remind me, how did she lose her leg? Uh, she kind of alludes to wanting revenge on Butch Cavendish because uh, he is a cannibal. Right. She points to a picture of her being a ballerina. And it, right. She's like, I want you to get back at him for this and like hits her ivory leg. The cannibal thing is another really weird element of this movie mm -hmm. that I was not expecting. Not sure where in a kid's film that's okay, but... Well, right, and that's because part of me thinks Gore Verbinski's not really trying to make a kid's film. There, there was a part of me that was like, whoa, Gore Verbinski, you're going dark. I'm kind of impressed. I mean... But again, because of that tonal inconsistency where it will go super dark and then have a whole bunch of slapstick comedy. It just it just feels really weird. Like, there's a scene where a bunch of Native Americans are murdered, and then there's a gag about, hey, look at Silver up in the tree. <laughs> yeah, within, like, split seconds of each other. Yeah, it, it's just the tonally all over the map. And the cannibalism stuff, first of all, I thought William Fickner was great in the role, because mm -hmm. I love William Fickner, and I hope he got paid a lot of money. <laughs> for being in this film. Somewhere in that $250 million. Yeah, but when they actually imply that he's eating the heart of the Lone Ranger's brother, and you kind of see it in the reflection in the Lone Ranger's eye, mm -hmm. um, that was a really interesting scene. Very dark, and I was kind of impressed that they went there. And then you have this other weird cannibalism stuff Involving rabbits, where the rabbits will suddenly attack anything, and it's almost like the rabbit in Monty Python. Yeah. And it, you're just like, what is going on? And it's, it's, it's like that idea of cannibalism and eating someone and eating another creature or another person or another culture. Let me guess, it's culture. <laughs> yeah, it's like they wanted to ah. make this... It's like they wanted to, to make that a dominant thing. He literally like, eats your heart because symbolism. Yeah, it's like they wanted to kind of strip away the fantasy about the Wild West and be like, no, at its core, the Wild West was a place of cannibalism in various forms. And there's a part of me that's like, okay, I'm all, I'm down for that theme. But again, it's just so tonally weird. In this movie. Yeah, that's straight out of a midnight movie. Like, that's not... Yeah. No. It's just, what is going on with this film? You're trying to tackle some really dark themes, but it's in a big, supposedly family-friendly film. And I also don't understand, like, how that actually helps, really... I mean, there's no reason for it to be there from a narrative perspective. No, there's like really... Like, it doesn't move the story along. And it doesn't move the allegory you're trying to present in there. Well, I, th I think it could. I think that's what they were going for. I mean, it, it doesn't move the narrative along. There's no reason they couldn't just have Butch Cavendish shoot his brother, and that would be that. Mm -hmm. So I think the only reason they include the cannibalism stuff is because they're trying to make it serve some thematic purpose. Other than, ew, that's gross for the kids. Right. It, it, again, it's just in the execution. It all, it all falls apart in the execution. Still tasteless. Still <laughs> tasteless. Not necessarily going to argue with you, but I will say, uh, the more I think about the movie, kind of the sadder I get. <laughs> the river runs red with blood. Oh, hey, Silver, how did you get up there? 
You're so funny. The more I think about it, the more I'm just like, man, I feel like they were trying to do something really cool and interesting with this movie. It just did not work. Man, but all the time and money they spent on it, did they not think that maybe some of this might have been a little skew? Maybe something they could have fixed? Maybe there it was even more offensive, and then this is the cleaned up version that we got. I don't know, but okay, ask yourself, Monica, if for some reason this had all kind of come together if at the end of the day you watched a coherent 250 million dollar movie about how white people are evil and native americans need to reclaim their history and reclaim their story if you saw a big budget hollywood film about that you'd probably be blown away if they pulled it off even if they pulled it off i still wouldn't like to see it in the historical context. Like, there's one thing about seeing the fantasy revenge of Tarantino, and it's, oh, yeah, that's very fine. That's that's almost straight-up entertainment. And then there's another thing about reclaiming heritage and culture and tradition in today's society, where it's still put down, where it's still not looked uh, highly upon, that sort of thing. I'd be almost more interested in seeing that story. But, you know, I don't think they make big-budget movies out of those anymore. Yeah, I I think they were trying to do some of the similar things that Tarantino accomplishes in a lot of his movies. They were just trying to go about it in a different way. The thing is with Native American stories on film is that most of the ones that do get distribution and do get out there are because they're historical Civil War epics or independence war of projects or whatever it's from another era it's from another time there's not there hasn't really been a film since smoke signals that deals with native americans in this day and age right it's almost easy to assume that yeah their culture no longer exists when there's still a huge presence exactly and i i, I would argue that i get the impression gore verbinski is aware of that, and with this movie trying to be like, we need to take this this iconic image of the masked American hero and his Native American sidekick, and we need to subvert that and make it into a story about Native Americans reclaiming their heritage and their story. With a Native American who doesn't reflect upon any tribe, he's his own person or so, right? Right. And I think maybe that's what they were trying to do with Tonto. Some sort of a crazy stereotype going on, still in the pidgin English, because that's really, you know, progressive. Well, right. But even though Tonto is identified at times as Comanche, he doesn't really seem to have a tribe. Like, it's not really clear if he was outcast or if he kind of went into exile after, you know, due to all the guilt he felt. So he's he's kind of a loner, but they never really develop that in in the way that you're describing, where he would just sort of be representative of all Native Americans. Well, not even just all Native Americans, a tribe. He represents a member of a tribe. That doesn't really right. happen with that. Whereas John Reed is still somewhat have a family. He still has a tie to a quote-unquote tribe. Tonto exists in his own little bubble. Yes, though... They never really do show John at the end kind of having the happy ending with... No, because he rides off to the sunset for more adventures because I think they were planning on sequels. I think they were, but 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 also I kind of think what they were going for... No, this one's a cash grab. Come on, give this one to me. This was totally... They're leaving it up open for more Lone Ranger sequels. Come on, Andrew. It's Disney. Come on. Even John Carter had sequels planned after this. I'm not going to deny that. I'm not going to deny that. But I think, ideally, this movie would have an arc that stood on its own that would be about a man realizing, oh, the law, America, family, these things that I used to say was my religion, I can't believe in that anymore because it's sort of all been corrupted for me, so I need to put on this mask and fight the corruption. Almost like a weird Batman superhero type story but they they just they don't pull that off when it comes to the character of the lone ranger i had no idea at the end of the film what he was supposed to represent or what his philosophy was what his ideology was why he was still going to hang around with tonto it's just the, the 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 connective tissue was not there 
Yeah, because it is a poorly made film. Poorly made film, except for some of the cinematography and some of the performances. Again, I like Army Hammer. <laughs> I didn't have a problem with him before this. <laughs> What? Okay, are you going to blame Army Hammer for this movie? No, I just think what he was given as material is awful. I don't right. blame him for that. I blame a Johnny Depp a little bit more because it seems like he had a lot more creative say, and at least what he's come across in interviews in terms of picking the costume and the mannerisms and that sort of thing to make this Jack Sparrow Western edition. I'm kind of blaming him a lot more. I agree with you. That's very problematic. But I kind of feel bad for Army Hammer. He hitched his ra- his wagon to the wrong post. I'm sorry. He did. But the thing is, I would ra- I would much rather watch a studio blockbuster with him in the lead than a lot of other people out there. Well, hopefully he doesn't become Taylor Kitsch and he'll have another chance. And hopefully he doesn't end up in Battleship 2. Is Taylor Kitsch, is his, is his career dead? Uh, have you heard from him since? I haven't, but, uh-huh. I mean, is he around, Did he, or did his career just kind of flame out all at once when he had that series of failures? I don't know, he kind of became poison. I haven't heard from him since, that's all I'm saying. I liked Battleship more than I expected. I really liked John Carter overall. Yeah, and I like John Carter too, but a failure's a failure. Yeah, even though it was a messy film. Yeah. I'm worried Army Hammer's now going to go the way of Taylor Kitsch and and not get another chance. And that's two, two actors where I'm like, please, these people are talented. They have some charisma. He's got to do some, some indies that are going to play South by. Critics will love him again, and go, he'll get a second shot. Maybe so. He'll go the McConaughey if he does the McConaughey route. Maybe that's what will happen. Maybe you're right. Maybe he'll do some horrible rom-com starring Jennifer Lopez, and then that's okay. He'll redeem himself later on in life, and he'll make a great comeback. Yeah, I just feel like when it comes to, to like, quote-unquote, action heroes or the or these big adventure heroes, we don't really have a go-to guy for that anymore. Right now? No, they're all from, like, the 80s. Yeah, and it's like, come on. Stallone and Willis are still packing it. Schwarzenegger now. And it seems like Hollywood is constantly recycling new young male actors just because they're like, they're desperately trying to find that new it guy, that new actor that's going to suddenly become a big movie star. Well, part of their thing is that they have to give be given quality material. Right. I didn't totally hate the guy who was in uh, the fifth Die Hard. <laughs> God knows if we'll ever see him again. Yeah, it's it, it seems like either they hire good charismatic actors for bad movies, or they hire really boring, bland actors, <coughs> Sam Worthington, uh, <laughs> for for slightly better movies. It's very hard lately, it seems, to find a quality, big-budget studio blockbuster with a quality, new, young, charismatic lead actor as the no hero. No one that's currently on a roll for, in that sense. There's no new Kurt Russell going on. Yeah, and I feel like maybe they even tried to do that with Channing Tatum in G.I. Joe, which I hated him in, even though I think he's a talented actor now. They totally killed him off. They did, yeah, in the second one. No, no, the probably, well, false. The Probably the closest thing we have going on right now in terms of repetitive action star is The Rock. That is a good point. It's The Rock. But The Rock doesn't really, it's very rare that we see him, like, headline and lead a movie. No, because he did snitch. Well, yeah, but that was, like, not a great film. No. So we need, we need a diehard for The Rock. Somebody yeah, make that happen. It, That's my reboot this. Let's, let's drop the Lone Ranger. Someone give a new Die Hard-esque series to The Rock. <laughs> make that happen. Bring back the Groovers. We're good. I'd be okay with that. I'd be okay with that, too. But yeah, Snitch was not a big studio blockbuster movie. Mm-hmm. And I mean, if you're not looking at superhero movies, that's another thing, too, because we got Captain America, we got Thor, we got Batman, we got Superman. All of those are action heroes. But I'm not talking about that because that's one actor who comes to be identified with one role. I'm talking about an actor gotcha. who comes to be so identified like with Statham. multiple roles. Jason Statham is the closest we've gotten to, like, an action hero. 
mm-hmm. in in you know the modern day. Mm-hmm. But it, just in terms of like a big studio blockbuster adventure hero, we don't quite have that. No, because for those movies now, they almost have to come with the brand recognition before that. Yeah. No one's adapting somebody's pulpy novel or short story in order to get there. Oh, man. If you're listening to Army Hammer, keep at it. I'm rooting for you. Andrew loves you. Yeah. Please don't cry. (laughs) All right. Is there anything else you want to say about The Lone Ranger? I did. I did. I have one last quote I'm going to bring from Adrian that I liked. She watched the movie last night and posted about it this morning. Eight parts as to why The Lone Ranger sucks or is horrible. I haven't read that. I need to read that Okay, well, this is just an excerpt of her experience going to the movie to see it. My theater had a bunch of kids in it. I kept thinking about what images they were leaving the theater with, and that left me upset and worried. Now an entire generation is going to play the Lone Ranger and Tonto at recess, thinking Indian talk incomplete, inconsistent pigeon English. Think all the Indians are dead, and that it's okay to dress as an Indian for Halloween. While this might be a flash-in-the-pan film, it solidifies the continuing views of Native peoples as lesser, as relics of the past, as disappearing, as roadblocks to progress. Tonto might have been less of a sidekick and running the show, but in the end, the Lone Ranger gets the girl and the glory, and Tonto ends up in a museum. How's that for reimagining? Yeah, I I agree. I could see how that's problematic, especially when you bring in the issue of what kids are going to take away from it. Part of my own review ended with the fact that I linked to Disney's website for the merchandising of the film. You can buy the Lone Ranger hat, but the entire full costume for Halloween is only available for Tonto. Oh, man. That is discouraging. Oh, yeah. Well... I will defend the intentions, not the result. I agree with you. It's it's a big mess. I think that's all I want to say about The Lone Ranger. Oh, except <laughs> Ruth Wilson, Love Jen Luther, wasted here. <laughs> yeah. Wrong brother. Not today. <laughs> yeah. Wow. And that was the extent of him getting the girl. He gets one kiss. Yeah, that wasn't, I mean, it wasn't exactly too hard. No, it was just kind of discouraging. <laughs> the girl is the object of affection and the object to be one. And that object is kind of a wet rag. I will say, though, that final action set piece was probably the best part of the film. It was all green screen again. It just brought back nothing but memories of the general. And I was like, man, if this was Buster Keaton, that guy would be hanging off the side of the train in a heartbeat. Yeah, but it, but it just in terms of the uh, how enjoyable it was, com- especially compared to the second act, which was just really the dull. William Tell Overture in the background, yeah. Yeah, that that part was fun when they when they cue the William Tell Overture, and then you got all the stuff with the train, and the white men are evil, and no, stop this, the silver, it's bad. I I was into that for the most part. It just really didn't feel like they they earned a lot of those themes that they that they they sort of threw in there at the end. Oh, and we did okay. Last thing, I promise, last thing before we do reboot this, Barry Pepper, what was up with his character? They introduce him halfway through the movie, and then suddenly it's like, oh, here's another villain. Oh, yeah. He's the captain of the cavalry. He's the Custer lookalike, guys. Yeah, and there's a great scene. He's the new mascot for White Guilt Forever. Yeah, there's a great scene where... There's this sort of Mexican standoff going on inside the train, and Tom Wilkinson basically asks him, okay, do you want to believe the Lone Ranger when he says that you just murdered a bunch of people for no reason? Or do you want to choose to deny that and join my side? And the fact that he would choose to act in a way that makes him feel better about himself, despite the fact that he hurt a lot of people and is now going to wind up potentially hurting more people, I thought was fantastic because it was kind of like, well, yeah, that's basically what we white Americans tend to do a lot of the time. We tend to deny our own historical sins if we can and and ignore them. And I thought that was a really, really great scene. They Again, they just really didn't do much with it. You know, supposedly he feels really guilty about killing innocent women and children, and then suddenly he's pointing a gun at this innocent child at the end. Mm-hmm. It was just all all over the place. For every really interesting moment in The Lone Ranger, there are ten little things that just kind of make you go, what, what were 
you doing? What What's going on? So, what is happening? Yeah. All right. It's time for our final segment of the show. Reboot this. This is the part of the show where we pitch either a prequel, sequel, or remake to the movie we just discussed because Hollywood has to make everything to a franchise these days. It's pretty obvious that they would like the Lone Ranger to be the start of a new franchise if possible. So, Monica, if Disney comes to you and says, we heard your review, we heard your complaints, you're totally right, we're really sorry, we want to make up for it, you take over now, you can do with the Lone Ranger now what you want, what would you do? Would you do a prequel, sequel, or remake? Probably a remake, but I'd also leave it alone for a good 20 years just to wash away <laughs> the bad taste. Yeah. Maybe make sure that Johnny Depp is too damn old to try and volunteer for the role. <laughs> and then let's try it again. Maybe give him a cameo? <laughs> no? Kind of a little nod? Like, maybe not. Okay. Still kind of offensive. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm not saying he has to have a cameo with Tonto. No, no, just, like, walk away, walk away slowly. You, you could have him give him a cameo and then kill off his character, because that would be symbolic. It doesn't even need to go like that. Okay. I think also not bringing him in at all is also symbolic. Okay, that's a good point. Yeah, not talking about it is usually symbolic. I would try and bring in better writers, possibly a different director, most likely, so it doesn't end up two and a half hours long. And just giving it a whole new cast, a whole new look. And if they really want to bring this egalitarian look on, oh, and now the Lone Ranger and Tonto are a buddy cop drama. All right, let's call it the Lone Ranger and Tonto and let's have them actually rely on each other and, you know, not be so antagonistic from each other and take away the Tonto-isms that have been there since the 30s. Yeah. Let's go from there. Let's see what progress really looks like. Well, if I was in charge of the Lone Ranger, I agree with you. I'd wait 10 or 15 years. And then this this is a property I think could really benefit from a Nolanization in the sense that I think they could take this iconic hero and make it really dark, really gritty, make it hard R, maybe make Tonto the main character again, and the Lone Ranger is kind of his sidekick or the person... He has to win over to his side. So like the Tarantino version of The Lone Ranger? Possibly. Possibly. I, I t Tarantino would make an interesting movie. As long as the bad guy happens to be Christoph Waltz, who can speak in four different languages in the film, I think I'm okay. <laughs> yeah, you could do the Tarantino version where Tonto just goes around massacring all the white people. No, only the bad ones. Okay. Well, no, all of them. All white people. All of them? Yeah, all of them are Wendigos. Well, I was going to say, Django doesn't kill every white person in there. Yeah, he does. He, like, kills the wife. No, the uh, the first plantation that he visits, he does not kill the uh, Don Johnson. Oh, yeah. I can't remember his name. Yeah, he's he's spared. Yeah, but do you kind of think maybe that's because he wouldn't be able to get away with it? No, he totally could have gotten away with it. They got away with everything else. I guess, I, I don't know. I guess that's true, but maybe... They went into that town, man. He didn't, he only killed who he had to kill. Well, yeah, but then, wait, wait, was wait. a sense of control. I, wait, I'm confused. <laughs> Which scene are you talking about? Uh, when they come into the town for the first time and he learns that Dr. King Schultz is a, uh, is a bounty hunter. Okay, yeah, yeah, you're right. I was thinking you were talking about that first plantation that they visit. Like, why didn't they shoot everybody there? Yeah, okay, I see what you're saying now. Yeah. No, I think it would be interesting, though, if you had a, a really dark, gritty movie about the genocide of Native Americans, where Tonto was pretty much like, this is an unforgivable sin, this is terrible, it's so bad, I don't care who you are, our anger and our vengeance is justified. The quote-unquote savage... Native American is justified based on what you have done to us. I think that would be pretty subversive, pretty interesting to see. What do you think would happen if Clint Eastwood directed a movie like this? Uh, potentially interesting? Yeah. I mean, he, he obviously he has a lot of experience with Westerns. And as we saw yes. in Grand Torino... I did not, so that's why I was going to say I don't know exactly how he likes to deal with other... He's at least a, a little bit interested in it, <laughs> in race. Okay. So you never know. Maybe that could, that could lead to an interesting movie. But yeah, the main thing I would want to see is just a really dark, gritty version of The Lone Ranger. Hard R, lots of murdering, 
going on. Lots of uh, forcing the audience to recognize our historical sins. That That's what I would like. All right. I think that'll wrap it up for this episode on The Lone Ranger. Be sure to tune in next week when we will be discussing The Lone Ranger 2. Oh, I'm sorry. Pacific Rim. Thank God. <laughs> we would love to get your feedback on the show. You can email us at cinemafix at filmgeekradio.com or comment on the website at Film Geek Radio. You can also subscribe to the show through iTunes. So if you liked this episode, please write us a review. That would really help us get the word out about the show. You can also donate to us through the website. We really appreciate your help. And don't forget to check out other great shows on Film Geek Radio, including The Thin Place and our new show, all about the final season of the Showtime series, Dexter Avenging Angels. Monica, where can people find you online? People can find my work online on Twitter and Tumblr at mcastimovies. That's M-C-A-S-T-I movies. They can also find my work reposted on the Boston Online Film Critics Association website at bofca.com. And they can also read my full review of The Lone Ranger at Bitch Magazine. Is it ranty? Am I going to like it? Yes, you'll like it. Yay! You can find some of my writing at filmgeekradio.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at writerandrew. Uh, you can also find my review of The Lone Ranger up at moviemezzanine.com, where I believe in the headline I called it a repulsive racist mess. So go read that over there. All right, that'll wrap it up for this episode. I'm Andrew Johnson. I'm Monica Castillo. And have fun this week getting high on cinema. And don't kill an entire culture of people. That is not good. This has been a Film Geek Radio production. Film Geek Radio! Yeah!